today to repair any brokenness, um, God, to bring peace and to bring calm. Thank you for the chance to lift you up and to focus on your grace, to focus on your worthiness and your holiness. We love you, God, and we praise you. We turn our hearts to you, God. We thank you and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's good. It's good to worship, isn't it? Thank you guys for leading us. These guys always do an incredible job. And I know they make it look easy, but it's not. If you don't believe me, you should have me lead sometime. It's not. I can promise you that. So before we jump in uh, to the Bible today, and by the way, we're going to be uh, in the Bible in Colossians chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Uh, but before we jump into that today, I just want to mention, you know, tomorrow is uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Day in American life, and uh, today is actually uh, his birthday, and uh, the 15th, say the 15th. Um, and so, you know, annually we celebrate this. I just am thankful for a church that is willing to embrace that dream in every generation. Um, so no matter what you're doing tomorrow, no matter where you are tomorrow, I hope that you will. You know, we're fond of a saying around here that, that heaven will be made up of every tribe and tongue and nation. And we believe we should look like that now, not later. And so uh, I'm certainly thankful you embrace that and that that is, um, that that's important. So here's what I want to do this morning, just to start us out. We're in a series called Mistaken Identity. You know, I asked last week, how, how do you define who you are? And part of what I said last week, and we'll say this over and over and over as we study the book of Colossians in the New Testament is that if we misunderstand Jesus, then we misunderstand ourselves and we misunderstand life. And I think you can see that in people all the time, not just, not just church folk, uh, but people, uh, people all across society where people have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And so in the coming weeks, we're going we're gonna to march our way through Colossians 1 to come to that great text that defines so well who Jesus is and what he's really about. But before we get there, I want to go back to Colossians 1.1. And, and I want to sort of set it up this way. Anybody ever done a corn maze? All right, good, good. Anybody ever grown a corn maze? Me neither. I'm just asking. Because, you know, honestly, like, here's the thing. Do, do, you, do you plant the seeds with not those rows, or do you go in and cut it all down? Which is it? <laughs> you guys ever do a corn maze? Do we have any pictures of corn mazes in the notes? You guys ever do a corn maze, right? Right? If you've never grown one, right? It, 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 what you realize when you zoom out is that there's something beautiful going on often, right? There's something written, or there's something hidden. Uh, I think we've got another one maybe. Uh, I'm not even sure that's corn. <laughs> but, you know, on a little screen, it, it looked sort of like it. All right, that's good. Um, Here's the thing with a corn maze. Maybe you've had this experience. You get deep into the maze. Not the beginning, not the ending, not when you're almost out, not when you're just in, but you're deep into the maze, and you've got, you've got right and left, and you've got to decide which way to go. Do I go with A or B, right? Which way do I go? Do I go right? Do I go left? You go right, and it seems wrong. You go left, and it seems wrong. You go straight, and you're walking through the corn, and... Now, add to this that corn mazes are almost always a fall thing, right? They, they sort of have to be seasonally speaking. And so a corn maze pairs really well with uh, that annual event in American life called Halloween. And so usually when you're making your way through a corn maze, in the dark at least, uh, in the evenings, you're also chased by like zombies or, or somebody with a chainsaw who likes to just rev it right in your ear, you know, kind of thing. And so here's my point in all of that, because corn maze, right? Life feels like that sometimes. That it presents, do I go right or do I go left? 
and I'm being chased by Freddy Krueger. Like, what am I supposed to do? What does God really want? Does God want me to go right, or does God want me to go left? Life presents questions like that around the clock every day. And we end up asking ourselves, what does God really want? And, and, and in doing that, theologically speaking, we're sort of asking, what is God's will for my life? Right? You following me? You've been down this road before, haven't you? I don't know whether to go with A or B, and so I'm trying to choose. And so you say, you throw up a prayer, right? You say, God, give me some direction here. Do you want me to, you know, quit this job and take that job? Do you want me to, to start this and stop that? Do you want me to continue here? Do you, what, God, God, what is your will? What do you want? I want to see if we can answer that today. And the question I'm asking that I've titled this is, can I really know what God wants for me in 2023? Can I really know what God wants for me in 2023? And the answer is yes. You absolutely can. But I'm going to caution you slightly. And I'll get to that. Yes, you can, very much so. Life is not a corn maze, obviously. Life's not a maze to be escaped, although sometimes it feels that way. Life's not a puzzle to be solved, although sometimes you feel like it is, right? Life is not an Ikea piece of furniture that just has to be assembled with no instructions. Like, what am I doing with all these extra bolts and screws? Do they include these because they know one of them's going to break? Or did I forget to put something in? I don't know. We'll find out when we put stuff on the thing, right? Life is not a joke to be laughed at, although it's good to learn to laugh at yourself along the way. And life is not just a pain to be numbed. Although for many people, it has deteriorated that direction. Life is a relationship with God to be walked together. And I'm dead serious about that. You don't have to go far to figure that out. You can start back in Genesis 1 and 2. It's a relationship with God to be walked together. Life is spiritual. Spiritual is not a part of my life. There's not like, like a, little, a little caveat of like 5% or 10% of my life is spiritual and everything else is like real life. All of life is spiritual. All of life is to be walked with God together. And so if I asked you, do you want to know what God wants for you in 2023, you would say? Okay, a couple of you want to know what God wants this year. That's good. That's good. The rest of you, I've got some work to do. You also, if I were just to ask the question very differently, if I said to you, because every January we're like, okay, here's things I need to be better next year, here's things I need to stop doing, here's things I need to start doing, like I need to start exercising, I need to stop eating ice cream. I've already blown that, have you? Yeah. Right, here are some ways I need to grow. Do you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus this year? That seems simple. I got a little more yes out of that. So you might not want to know what God wants, but you do want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. I'm really glad to hear that. So here's the thing. What if I told you that you can know what God wants beyond a shadow of doubt? Here's that caution that I want to give you with that. Just fair warning. When we look at Scripture and we think about God's will, sort of that phrase, God's will, it's almost entirely about the things God cares about and not about whatever is sort of the pressing need of the moment that's dinging in our lives. Almost always, when I'm reading through the Bible and I come across the phrase, God's will, I want to know, do I stick with this or do I quit this, right? Do I, do I start or do I stop? Do, do, do you do this or do you do that? Like, we, we want to know, like, you know, do I continue my job? Do I find a new job? Do I, do I just have no job? We want to know, you know, do I live here? Do I live there? Do I, do I, do I 
do I, do I hang on to this relationship or is it time to boundary this relationship? Should I help this person? Or should I let them help themselves? Some days we're just like looking at the fridge, you know, like, should I cook this or that or nothing? Because there's nothing in here. We want to know if God wants us to do A or B when we talk about God's will. But vast majority of the time, God's will is not about A and B. God's will is about, more than not, about character and more than not about faithfulness. Let me give you some examples. I didn't put these in your notes, but you can jot them down if you want. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So the next verse explains what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And it sort of continues on with there. from there. It's God's will that I be filled with the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, it is God's will that you be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.3 and 4, this is good and pleases our God and our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Peter 2.15, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. 1 Peter 3.17, this is like everybody's favorite verse, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That's not one we ever go to God for, by the way, on his will. We, we, I've never had anybody come to me and say, Brian, I'm really praying about whether I should suffer or not. I mean, once we are suffering, we're usually praying. But up front, we're hardly ever asking. So how do we understand a passage in the Bible that's going to talk about the will of God for us? And I'm going to say, let's use our good Bible study skills like we always do. What I'm going to read this morning, I want you to listen for some recurring themes that I will highlight for you. I'm just going to back up Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Can I know what God really wants for me in 2023? Yes. Let's read. Paul writes, signs his name up front, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, we talked last week about where Colossae is and its nearness to Ephesus and a bunch of things. That's, that's worth checking out if you missed that. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and we've heard of the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. So I'm just going to pause there long enough to say, take note of that phrase. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing. We're going to come back to that. Throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it, and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. So this is the second time the will of God's been mentioned. We ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. 
So notice this parallels, right? What is the gospel doing in our world? It is bearing fruit and it is growing through the world. Now he is praying that the gospel would bear fruit in the people in every good work, that they would grow in the knowledge of God, verse 11. How, what does it mean to grow in the knowledge of God? Verse 11, 12, define that. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion and darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that, and it's a mouthful. Like, there's so much density there in terms of not only theology, right? You have Father, Son, Holy Spirit involved. But there's density of faith, hope, and love. There's a bunch of other things going on. The gospel is bearing fruit. The gospel is growing us. What exactly is this saying? And, and I want to come back to, can I really know what God wants for me in 2023? And here's the answer. And it's the one thing this message is about. I don't have to wonder about God's will. Because it is God's will that I grow in grace this year. It is God's will that I grow in grace. We could say that I grow in the gospel. I'm going to use the word gospel and grace somewhat interchangeably here because of what he says in verse 6. But it's God's will that I grow. You say, but Brian, Brian, that, that, yeah, yeah, of course it's God's will that I grow. But what I need to know is do I put on the blue socks or the red socks? I don't know. It depends on which team you root for. White Sox, Red Sox, black. You know, I, which, which way do I go? Am I supposed to go this way or am I supposed to go that way? And we want God's will to be A or B. And I'm telling you, in my life, I have prayed like that tons of times where I've said, God, I really need to know, am I supposed to go here? Am I supposed to go there? And there have been times where I had a very clear sort of urging of the spirit one direction or the other but there have also been times when i have prayed and a and b have been on the table and and i don't have clear well what am i supposed to do well you just sit at that red light until god tells you whether to go right those people behind you they're patient they'll wait it's not like they're going to honk at you you just sit at that red light and when god gives you a you know, like anything, you make the best decision you can. I end up usually just trusting that God knows what he's doing and that if I go A and he meant B, that he can redirect me, if you will. But again, this just shows you most of the time what I want to know is I've got an agenda, God. I need to know about A or B right now and this time, and I need to know which way you want to go. And when I read about God's will in the Bible, it's much more big picture. And it's far more than not, not about A and B, but about C and F, which sounds bad from school, but C and F is character and faithfulness. And I can know what God wants for me in 2023 because what he wants for me is to grow in grace in my character. What he wants for me is to grow in grace in my faithfulness. Remember, these were people in the Colossian church who had a past that wasn't always, um, wasn't even always Jewish, right? There were some Jewish folks. There were some sort of uh, religion of the day folks, which was sort of the, the Roman, like there's a billion gods and those billion gods are at war with each other. They had that religion. They had people with no religion. They, they were just synthesizing. They were blending things together theologically. I'm not even sure I gave the, the, the fancy word for that last week in both services. It's called syncretism. And they were blending things together. It shouldn't be blended. You remember my uh, cookie analogy? Right? They're putting things in the cookies you don't want there. Well, what is clear when I read the entire Bible is that God wants me to avoid the things that take me away from him. And God wants me to grow in the things that deepen my relationship with him. 
Now, if I were to just say this in everyday language we use all the time here at Harvest Community Church, God wants me to grow in grace. God wants me to grow in love. Who knew? Right? That I am supposed to love God with heart, soul, and mind, and strength. What does God want for me this year? He wants me to grow in my love for Jesus. That makes sense, doesn't it? But if I'm growing in my love with Jesus, you know what happens? I end up growing in my love for you. Because I can't divorce my love for Jesus for my love for you. And I, this is about the moment in the sermon where you go, Brian, there's even like 15 pages of notes here. Like, how long is this sermon going to be? I'm just going to tell you up front. It says part one because Brian is absolutely certain that this will be broken into part two. In fact, I think it says, what does growth look like in 2023? I think I've got like nine or ten answers to that that we're going to get to. Not all of them today. Not all of them today. But what God wants is for me to grow in grace. God wants for me to grow in love. Love for him, love for people, love for the people of the world he has created. God wants me to grow, to bear fruit, to grow in the knowledge of God. The bottom line is the better I understand Jesus, the better I understand God's plan for my life. So what does growth really look like? Let me break it down. I've got nine or ten answers. We'll get through four or five of them today. I'll see how far I make it. Number one, growth begins with grace living in me. I could say growth begins with Jesus living in me. Growth begins with the gospel living in me. That there has to be a moment in life where in humility and openness, I admit that I am broken, that I am a sinner, and that there's nothing I can do to make God love me, that God already loves me far more than I will ever understand, and so I am to receive his love, receive his grace, receive what he has done when he died on the cross for my sins. Those were my sins. Not just the world's a bad place, but I do bad things, and Jesus died for me. It's personal. And grace starts, growth starts with this sense that grace has become personal, that God is living in me. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love stored up for you in heaven, and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the whole world, this is verse 6, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. He's doing a couple of things there. He is identifying that the gospel is God's grace. That if I want to know the good news of Jesus Christ, and if I were to try to sum it in one word and only one word, and billions and billions of words have been written about the gospel. The word gospel just means good news. What is that good news? It is the grace of God. In fact, I promise you, if you were to go to seminary or you were to go to a secular school and you were to study the religions of the world, the thing that differentiates Christianity from every other religion of the world is this concept of grace. It's this concept that God loves us and gives us what we absolutely do not deserve. And so growth, growth begins with a point in time he identified that point in time for them, this gospel that's been growing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood it. And so I have to at least pause today to ask you, has there been a moment in your life where you have paused long enough to say, God, I finally, just in some basic capacity, understand that I am a sinner and that you died to give me grace, that you're alive today, and I put my faith in you for the very first time. Because growth starts there, in a relationship with Jesus, in a walk with Jesus Christ. Life is spiritual. Life is a relationship with God, something we walk together. Growth begins there. 
If that's not happened for you yet, and there today is the day you say, I want to begin that relationship with today, like right here, right now, give me, give me 15 minutes, and I will pray that prayer with you. Right here, right now. Number two, growth looks like maturity in the big three. Maturity in the big three. The big three, faith, hope, and love. Maturity in the big three. You say, what are the big three? You know, I read through this passage, and honestly, I have a really strong emphasis on God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit. We could say that's the big three. I'd have no argument with that at all. But in this case, growth looks like maturity growing to a greater sense of living them out in the big three. Faith, hope, and love. That's what it said back in verse 4 and verse 5. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We heard of the love you have for all of God's people. Verse 5 said the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel. I simply want you to see here that this is telling us that if we're going to understand Christianity at all, it's going to revolve, it's going to unfold. When we begin to unfold grace, that, it, that it's going to come down to faith. It's going to come down to hope. And it's going to come down to love. And this is not the only place in the Bible that it talks about faith, hope, and love together. There are many other places. But Paul loved to do this. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe you know the famous one, you know the wedding passage? It's not a wedding passage. It's nowhere near a wedding passage. But 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now these three remain faith, Hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. That's, that's Paul's most famous words about faith, hope, and love. Read at I don't know how many weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. There's nothing wrong with reading it at weddings. It's just that's not what it was about. That part was not what it was about when it was written. He, but here he tells us, that Christianity at its core has something to do with faith, faith in Christ Jesus. It has something to do with love, love for God and all of God's people. It has something to do with hope, hope that is, comes from heaven, that is stored up in heaven. Someone smarter than me said, faith is the soul looking upward to God. Love is the soul looking outward to others. And hope is the soul looking forward into the future. The bottom line here is that I need all three of these growing in my life. And so it's worth asking yourself, it's just worth it. Take inventory of your life right now and ask, is there faith in my life and is it, is it growing? Is there hope in my life, and is, is my hope growing? And, and I think he tells us a bit of the secrets here. If my faith's not growing, then I really need to focus on my walk with Jesus because my faith is in him, his son. If my hope is not growing, then I really need to focus on the hope stored up for me in heaven, the security that comes from knowing that not only is heaven real, but that God's agenda is secure, which means no matter how crazy this world gets, God's got me. Does that mean I'll never suffer? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Didn't you remember a while ago it said, if it is God's will that you suffer? I never want that. But sometimes that's what happens. Suffering is a part of this world, but suffering is not a part of heaven. And that's where my hope lies. And I need to ask myself, am I growing in love? And there, if I want to know if I'm growing in love, far more times than not, the question is not, uh, am I loving God enough? The question is, am I loving people right here in this reality? Because if I, if I convince myself, oh man, my love for God is like me and, me and him are like this, but I can't stand those people. 
Notice the language there. Those people, never good language. Number three. All right, so growth begins, right, with grace, with my relationship with Jesus. Growth looks like, like maturity in the big three, faith, hope, and love. Number three, growth looks like showing and sharing grace with my world. Growth looks like showing grace to the world. It looks like sharing grace with the world. Verse 6, he talks about the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. In other words, God's grace was on the move before it got to you, and it's on the move when it gets past you. And the real question of you and I's lives is, are we going to get on board with helping the grace move? around the world. We say, well, Brian, Brian, Brian. Brian, this, this grace going around the world thing sounds good, but isn't that for like people who do what you do? I mean, isn't that pastors and missionaries? Like, like they're like the pros. You know, I mean, don't you know there's like fantasy church Fancy church leaders, people, people all the time, they like have these apps and they're recruiting and they're like, they're like I got that guy down there in Houston and I, I got that Stephen Furtick guy and, and you know, I, I get points for going around the, I'm, you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Right? Anybody play fancy football, basketball, baseball, any of that? You know, but we, we in the church world like to pretend that the Christianity is really about the pros and, and we like sort of have pros that we follow. And if we have pros that we follow, then they're taking the gospel to the world. And that means we're off the hook. No, no. I mean, I'm going to tell you straight up. In our worship services, some Sundays, people pray right here in this service to follow Jesus Christ, make him their Savior. The gospel goes forward around the world. That's a beautiful thing. But you know what's better than that, quite honestly? is when it happens when you're at a restaurant with someone, when you're at a coffee shop with someone, when you're at work with someone, when you're in somebody's home or they're in your home, when they're asking deeper questions and there's that opportunity to speak up, you know that opportunity where we get real nervous and we're like, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing, which is just like Sunday school. The, the, the answer is just Jesus. You say, what if they ask a hard question? It's totally okay to say, I don't know the answer to that. But let me research it a little bit, and I'll get back to you. Now notice what we want to do. We want to go, Pastor Brian, this is your chance. Like, swoop in and give the big answer. That's not the point. God's grace for all of its complexity, the gospel, for all of the depth that it has, is at some level simple enough that the youngest of kids can swim around in it like the shallow end of the pool, and it's deep enough like the depths of the ocean that we can explore for all of eternity. But it doesn't have to be a professional's game to share with other people. It means I need to learn to practice grace and that grace becomes, and grace, if you're wondering, right? Unmerited favor, undeserved kindness. Mercy is when God doesn't give us what we do deserve, right? When what I deserve is justice and judgment and God withholds that, that is mercy. Grace is God giving us what we absolutely don't deserve. It's when God's kindness comes to my life, meets me where I'm at, and loves me as I am. Growth looks like learning to practice grace, learning to show grace, and learning to verbalize grace. I love every year, a couple of times a year, to ask you, who are two or three people in your life that need to experience God's grace? And like right here, right now, maybe you would just jot a couple of names down that God would urge in your heart. Because your ability to speak grace into their life is a billion times more powerful than mine. You say, but you're the pro! No. No. 
No, no, no. I am, one, I'm not a pro. And two, I don't know your friends. And so the weight of what you have to say to them personally is so much stronger than the weight of what I have to say. Do you know what I have to overcome when I meet people and the ability to share the gospel with someone? Like, let's say I'm flying on an airplane and I sit down and someone sits down next to me. They're like, oh, hey, how are you? And there's the, you know, like, I don't want to talk to you for the next four hours, even though we're going to sit like here. And so, you know, somewhere along the way, they go, what do you do? And if I say, when I say, I'm a pastor, oh, or, uh uh-huh, or sometimes they even go, what? Like, that tells you how far removed people are when they they can't even tell you what a pastor is. And actually, when they can't tell you what a pastor is, that's a little better, because more times than not, they, they have an image of what a pastor is, and they want nothing to do with it. That's a barrier I always have to overcome. Right, so my favorite, right, they say, what do you do for a living? I say, what do you do? They say, I'm in sales. I say, I do something like that. I'm a counselor. I do something like that. I teach. Oh, yeah, really, I, I do something like that. I say, I lead a company. I said, I lead something, you know. I do a little bit of what you do. Here's what I know for sure. God is on the move. The gospel is bearing fruit around the world. And by the way, you don't have to go to Haiti with us for the gospel to bear fruit around the world. I don't know if you know this, but the University of Oregon is a microcosm of the world at our doorstep. Literally. Literally, people come from around the world to attend the University of Oregon. Would you know that if you look statistically at the amount of people practicing faith on the University of Oregon's campus, that statistically it's about the same as China. Less than 3% actually practicing their faith, any faith, but Christian faith particularly on the University of Oregon campus. That's why this year we've said we're going to increase what we do in our ministry at the University of Oregon. We get to minister to the world at our doorstep. We've said this year we're going to invest in a lot of ways, in seeing the gospel go across our community, seeing the gospel go across the street literally, around the world literally. When you, when you put energy and gifts into harvest, when you put finances into harvest, when you put time into harvest, we're literally attempting to have the gospel bear fruit. Eugene, Springfield, University of Oregon, Southern Willamette Valley, all across this region in which we live. Not just our neighborhood, but everywhere here in the Pacific Northwest, across North America, and literally all around the world. This might seem a little out of place, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Back in early December, I gathered with a few of you after second service. We do this annually. We vote on something called the annual budget. Looks like spreadsheets. Look at all those fancy numbers. Isn't that cool? And would you know that the, like, 20 of us that were in that meeting voted to increase this year's budget. And if I said to you, hey, do you want to see the gospel do more this year than it did last year? Would you like to see more people baptized? Would you like to see more kids growing in their faith, more students plugging into community and knowing that they are truly loved? Would you like to see more college kids coming to their faith? How many of you would stand up and go, no, we don't want to see that? You know, I mean... Seriously, we had college kids from Texas that were here this week. Harvest helped host about 25 college kids that came from Texas on a mission trip to the University of Oregon, really to the whole Pacific Northwest, because some of their groups were also in uh, Vancouver and other places. And they were literally doing what what we asked, what, what Northwest Collegiate Ministries asked, in trying to bear fruit for the gospel. So they gave out coffee on LCC's campus. And Wednesday, they gave away a free lunch, and they had tons of people show up. First time we've been able to make inroads at Lane Community College. They were, they were at the University of Oregon's campus working. We hosted. They came for that national championship dud, whatever that game was Monday night, where like one team showed up and the other team did not. Like They sat here and watched, and we hosted. While they, but they also invited university students to come watch with them. 
Actually, it wasn't in this room. I believe it was next door. But, I mean, it was such a boring game. By the end, they were like line dancing and stuff. (laughs) I got to know you could do that at church. You know, 20 people saying, let's, let's increase what we're giving this year so the gospel can go around the world. Like, that's not going to change much. But when it really gets into you and I's hearts, and by the way, there are copies of these uh, back on the back table, if you'd like to actually see it. Which, just to be specific, we voted to increase the budget this year by about 30 grand. There's no mythical they who just dump an extra 30 grand. If you think we're one of those rich churches where somebody gets to the end of the year and some rich dude or dudette says, hey, I'm going to write that 30 grand check. There's only we around here, no they. But our stewards really believe in faith that we want to see the gospel do more, not less. And so when I talk about money at church, which is rare, quite honestly, but when I do, please know that it's not about money. It's about growth in the gospel. I really have to get through at least one more. You'll kill me next week because I'll have seven left. All right, number four, growth looks like using my gifts to serve God's kingdom. Growth looks like using my gifts to serve God's kingdom. I will leave the rest for next week. But let me explain this one. We made it through verse 6. Verse 7 says, you learn the gospel from Epaphras. Or, as I heard it pronounced a couple of weeks ago, Epaphras. Or we could say, Epaphras? Or, I don't know. There's probably four or five ways you could pronounce it. I don't really know Epaphras' name. I've just said Epaphras my whole life or at least since I learned the Bible. You learn the gospel from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. You learn the gospel from Epaphras. Paul is saying that I didn't bring the gospel to you, Epaphras did. But bigger than that, I think what he's saying is the kingdom is not made up of a bunch of apostles who bring the gospel, and they're the pros, and that's how this works. He is saying that the gospel is made up of, the church is made up of individuals who are all gifted to be able to serve Christ faithfully, to be able to administer God's grace in its various forms. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, they say things like this. Now to each one of us, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. It's telling us that you and I, we're all gifted. That when we become believers in Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in his heart. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Spirit of Jesus comes, he brings gifts, talents, if you will. But some divine enablement, a God-given ability to serve other people for the sake of the gospel. And every believer has at least one of these. I mean this with all humility. But every Sunday, I have the privilege of exercising my gift. I have the gift of teaching. You're like, Brian, where do you get this stuff? It's not me. It's also a lot of hard work in understanding my Bible and your Bible. But it's exercising my gift. And the whole point of this gift thing is Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 talk about how we're a body. How we're a body. The the body is made up of many parts, one body. We already know that. We have a second service and a first service, and rarely do those things cross. But every once in a while, one of you will go to second service, and you go, who are all those people? One body, many parts. No believer has all the gifts, which means there are no heroes who are going to save the world. As much as we all loved Billy Graham... Billy Graham would tell you the gospel is more powerful in everyday hands than it is in his mouth. No believer has all the gifts. And the bottom line here is all of us minister better than one of us. 
all of us minister better than one of us. So next time there's a chance to meet a different, make a difference in someone's life and meet a need in this family or serve these kids over here, you don't have to go, wait, wait, let's check with Julie and see, let's check with Brian and let's see what Brian can do about that. Let's see what Julie and Rachel can do about that. No, no, that, that, that we're all gifted to serve. So find yours. If you want more information about spiritual gifts, again, I would tell you Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. You'll find detailed information about the spiritual gifts in those places. I just want to tell you one more story. I think you'll like it, uh, I promise. And I'm going to pray our closing prayers. It was the summer of 1904. The World's Fair was in St. Louis. And that year... It was hot. People wanted something to cool them off, and there was this new cool thing called ice cream. Have you heard of it? Right? It's not like this ice cream thing has lived forever. And they wanted something to cool them off, and so the line for the ice cream was like miles long. And this guy was there, his name was Arnold, and he was not quite prepared for the demand he had. And so he was serving this ice cream in these bowls, these kind of paper bowls. And he didn't run out of ice cream, but he ran out of the bowls. And so he didn't know what to do and how to serve the ice cream. So he's like, like I scoop it into the hands. You know, and if it's hot enough, you might give that a shot. But next to his booth serving ice cream was a man named Ernest, who was a pastry chef making Persian wafer dessert. And Ernest had the problem that nobody wanted his pastry, but everybody wanted that cold ice cream, and his pastry was warm. And so Arnold and Ernest got together, and they took this warm wafer-shaped pastry, and they wrapped it into what would later be called a cone, And for the very first time, because two people were better than one and got their heads together, the ice cream cone was born. All of us make a difference far better than one of us. I got got to mention this, seriously. I spent some time this week looking at our volunteers and who volunteers where, and our staff's going to challenge all of us to get involved in ministry this year. So just heads up, like that's coming, like literally next week. We're going to encourage you to say yes to finding your gift. Say yes to serving God in some way, not just leave it to the 20% that do everything. And our our serving percentage is better than 20%, quite honestly. But we want all of us to get involved in serving God's grace in some capacity here at Harvest Community Church. And I began to add up volunteer hours, just estimates looking at who volunteers weekly, who volunteers monthly, a couple of people who volunteer here all the time. I think Bill lives somewhere in this building, like like one of these closets. He's got a secret place he stays because every time I'm here, he's here, literally. Before and after most of the time. The dude's here all day. But I added up volunteer hours. And we were literally in the six, 7,000 volunteer hour range at least last year. Like if you were to put money to that, that's big bucks that makes a difference. And if you said, Brian, you're the pro, you put in the 6,000 hours. I have a family. And I do put in volunteer hours. You know, I only work one day a week. You know that, don't you? (laughs) Right? But I volunteer a lot Monday through Friday. So here's the thing, quite honestly. I'm going to stop the outline there. Do you want to know what God wants for you in 2023? You can. It's for you to grow in grace. So my question for you is, can I pray that for you today? Not just for you, but with you. Would you be willing to pray that with me in essence? I always end our services with two prayers. The first is a prayer of salvation. Earlier I talked about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ, understanding God's grace for the very first time. You want to receive what Jesus offers, you can pray with me just like this. It's very simple. You just bow your head. You don't even have to. You want to look right at me, look right at me. But typically people bow their head as a sign of respect. And you pray, dear Jesus, 
I know I'm broken. I know I fall short. And I know I sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask for your mercy. And I ask for your grace and your kindness. And so Jesus, come live in my life and live your grace in me. And truly, just take over my life. Be my God. Make me like you, Jesus. Full of grace and love. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, or today was the first time God's grace kind of became something you understood, heaven is celebrating today. And so are we. We'd love to talk about baptism, some other things we do to celebrate that. But I would encourage you just to share that with somebody. Even online, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today, you can email me. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at harvestchurcheugene.com. You can fill out a communication card and tell us there. You can just tell somebody you came with. But man, like life hinges on that prayer. And literally in my life, I can mark time by the day Jesus changed my life when I was 15. I always end with a prayer of application as well. A lot of you prayed to follow Jesus a long time ago, but you want to grow this year in grace. Would you pray this prayer of application with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for showing us what you want for this year. Help me to grow in grace. Help my family to grow in grace. Help our church to grow in grace. Help Eugene and Springfield to grow in grace. Jesus, I pray that I'd be known for faith, for hope, for love. Show me who to show your grace to, who to share your grace with. Show us each how we can serve your mission. How we can serve what you're doing in this world. Help us to join that and join you Jesus, bear fruit in our lives. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. You did get it right. This was part one of two. Like, come back next week. We'll talk more. Like, there's more to say about this.